Hello, welcome to Web3 Need Some Soul. I'm your host, Steve Sanfleur, founder of Culture Touch Studio. I'm getting ready to sit down with Claude Aguienta, the founder of Mimo Capital, um, which is a staking platform and also uh, a lab that create Web3 and DeFi um, software uh, for different clients. Um, let's dive into it. Uh, well, thanks for welcoming me on the podcast. I'm very glad to be here. I'm in New York right now, and it's cool. Like, uh, you just arrived a couple of days ago, and so you meet some people, you record a podcast, you know, the energy of the city yeah. is like something you can, you can really grab. Love it. Um, so, yeah, my name is Claude. I'm from France, like, born and raised in Paris. Uh, my family's from the Caribbean. So, like, uh, when people hear that I'm French, they hear me, and then they see me, they have a little bit of a surprise. Like, oh, you're French? Like, kind of thing, yeah. So, yeah, I'm French from Caribbean, but born and raised in Paris, and been in tech for, like, forever. Um, started, started to code, I would say, rather late compared to some friends of mine. I started only, like, a 15-year-old, uh, but um, then, like, studied computer science, called... Um, I'm from Europe, so I got a master's. You know, like we're we're not big on bachelor degrees there. Yeah. Like, this is not really the, the way things work. So you go either masters or PhD. But after a master's, I felt like building my first startup, and yeah, ever since then, been building companies. Uh, been in crypto since I mean, building crypt- companies in crypto since 2013, and yeah, now it's 2022. Uh, damn, that makes me feel old, but yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Before we dive in, um, can you take us back to your family background? You know, where your family's from and everything. All right. <laughs> I'll keep the mic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, family background, like my, my mother, like, uh, my mother and father were born and raised in Martinique. Uh, moved to moved to Paris around like uh, university time where I was born, then, like uh, as my mom was a university student. And um, yeah, so I was born in a family. I mean, I don't have brothers and sisters and all that, but I have like... Like most people, where I'm from, I have a lot of cousins. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, I would say I was lucky to be born in a very, very large family. Even though, like you know, as my mom branched out, I, I was like mostly living like alone with her, and I went from like uh, the biggest group ever to just me and my mom, uh, and grew up like at first in Paris, uh, in, like in like the 13th, for those who know, so south of the city, like close to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Then like moved like um got super lucky moved to a place where uh it's called Saint-Quentin-Livlin it's a place where essentially a new city that was built around uh, a couple engineering centers of large French French companies so you would go to school there you would go to uh primary school or um like junior high and everybody's father was an engineer or something i mean my mom is not an engineer but that was great to like to move to a place like that cuz I think this is uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm an engineer today. Like, uh, take somebody from like even even though I was very poor, uh, even though I, we we didn't have like we didn't really blend in. Mm-hmm. Just like put a kid in this type of environment, and you will just absorb like all your friends like do programming after school and stuff like that. And you know you just get you just learn. And today, well, I'm a tech entrepreneur and I code on weekends for fun, right? That's that that's that's the thing and. It's, um, I mean, I, I feel very lucky that my mom made this choice. Like, I, I owe a lot of that to her. Like, uh, I'm saying that this, this type of personal story, as I know that your podcast is more about, like, us than yeah. about only what we built. So that's that's the main thing. But, yeah, um, it's, I have I have to say I owe a lot to, to the city where I, where I grew up. Right. Yeah. Now, 
you know, you mentioned that that diversity growing up in a community like that. Um, what does how does that influence your entrepreneurial journey? Um, because I will assume that the fact that you was in that part of that community helped shape who you are today, right? How would that how would that influence you? Yeah, I mean, of course, like uh, I will always be a form of a mix of like where I was at different stages of my life, right? And um, between like like you know more poor neighborhoods of when I was young to like to this nice middle class area of when I was a teenager, I I mean this actually really helped build um, the the entrepreneur in me because you you don't only see people as your neighbors you see them as consumers you see them as a potential market and you're like this is who I need to sell to like you you realize that you're not going to sell to the hood <laughs> it's because uh, they, they're not going to buy you want to help people you want to make like uh, people's lives better as a whole but you also need to find who's going to buy your stuff right and like um the, so i'm pretty sure this was um, pretty important in shaping who i am today as an entrepreneur but if i have to pinpoint like one place that turned the future engineer in me into an entrepreneur it's actually not where I grew up, it's China. I moved there when I was 18. And like the moment where I moved, it was a very different China from what China is today. Uh, it was a moment where like you had a lot of, I would say, entrepreneurial spirit going around. And as a CS student there, you would see a lot of people just seeing problems, seeing opportunities and immediately like feeling like they have to tackle them and build a business around it. Like after that, I moved to the U.S. and I studied in the U.S. But, and you know, I was in, in the, on the West Coast, and everybody would tell you, "Oh, yeah, the West Coast is the source of entrepreneurship in the world. This is like how it works." I have to say, like compared to what I felt when I was in China, the West Coast felt a little bit tame, almost like because I've seen China at like peak entrepreneurship, where I've seen West Coast a normal moment. So of course, I mean, overall, it's still like you know, like the U.S. West Coast is U.S. West Coast. There's there's no need to describe like how good it is for entrepreneurs. But um, I would say that being in a, a country that is facing this like massive wave of development at this moment is what turned me into an entrepreneur. I before moving to China, I just wanted to be an engineer solving good problems, solving like tough problems and working in a large company and all that. After China, I was like, I can't just stand there. I need to change the world with my keyboard. That, uh, that was kind of the thing, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Um, now, what was the first business venture that you got into? Um, you know, now you mentioned that you moved to the West Coast. You, was, you started in China. What was the problem that you identified and you wanted to solve? It's, um, I mean, that, that depends on how we, we, we see first startup as first startup. Um, I think... Before, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've done a lot of, I would say, startup experiments. I don't think they, they really qualify for describing on a podcast or something like that. But the first that I could really consider a startup was probably um, Kabotip. I was in Japan at that moment. Uh, and the problem I had identified with my friends was that creators, like people like us, because we, we, we're created. I mean, I've been a musician for my whole life, like um, the, the other co-founders. Of, like where one person who is uh, a child of two painters, I mean one painter and a photographer, and the other co-founder was a uh, an artist that is um, like mostly a like visual artist. Mm -hmm. That is also like a guy who ran fashion brands and stuff like that. So we 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 were seeing ourselves as as a bunch of creators, and we tried. I mean, we tried to monetize our crea creation. Realized that 
all the way to monetized creation were feeling very old uh, compared to all the technology that we're seeing in front of us. And we're seeing like, what if we make a form of a, of a social network where instead of upvotes, you have cryptocurrency tips. So cryptocurrency, like in our case, was, I mean, in our vision was here to stay. It was 2013 and we were like, no, no, this is going to be the future and stuff like that. So we built that thing, like obviously way too early. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, but we still, you know, we got funding, we got like a... We got incubated in a really good place, uh, and we met a ton of very smart people who are today like the, the network we are still building businesses. All right, back. All right, yeah, we just had a little bit of a technical accident. So I guess we're talking about the, in, the incubator. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just like uh, being in Japan in this incubator um, was was pretty, pretty good. And in the end, I mean, we built this company that that was um, somewhat successful uh, when you when you look at the number of users, but it was not really successful as a business. We, so we wind it down and then decided to do something else. But yeah, to come back to the question, your question was about what was the first problem that yeah. I wanted to tackle, right? And this problem was really like distribution of revenue, um, like among among like creators. Like the issue that we were seeing really is that revenue was going to the platforms only creators were not making money like youtube was making a lot of money creators were not making like remember by that moment we didn't have as much options to make money from youtube and instagram and all those things um, and it really felt like the platform were all were owning too much of the of the pie and the creators were not getting much i would say like in retrospect what we really didn't get is that the creators were expecting from the platform a way to connect with fans not really a source of revenue and the platforms were providing that to the creators Revenue was just something that everybody was expecting to come from somewhere else. We wanted the platform to like to pay the creators. That that was kind of the the thing that we that we missed there. But however, like it's, this was still like, the first problem we decided to tackle. In general, I would say that harmonization of revenue sharing has been like kind of a, a drumbeat uh, of all the type of businesses I've built. It was always like, well, those guys take a very large part of the pie. Either we look for a way to reduce margins and make it cheaper for everyone, or find a way to keep the margin and pay the other people on the thing. Like it's a, every business I've built was always centered around this type of thing. Like, like really trying to harmonize and make, I would say, a revenue split a little bit more fair. Uh, even what we're doing at Mimo today uh, is like working towards, like walking towards that direction. Now, what are you doing today? It sounds like, you know, you've been in the space for a while. Um, you know, the, I know in the beginning there was a lot of challenges and stuff. Now, with what you're doing today, where did that idea spark? Um, how did you guys come up with the platform or what was the motivation there? Uh, was it a spin-off from another business? So, I mean, from a purely, I would say, administrative perspective, it was indeed like a form of a spin-off for another business. But... From an idea generation perspective, it's uh, wildly different. It, it's really that um, it's not one of these sexy ideas that, oh, wow, I had a shower thought and that's a genius thing. Now it's like really way more down to earth. Like, we look at data, we realize that most of the crypto space was like really focused towards Americans uh, or people who were thinking about living their lives in dollars or uh, in, in volatile assets. Like, it was either dollar or volatile assets. And when we looked at like when we really looked at European users, which we were rather close to because a lot of the, the users of that company by, back then uh, were from Europe, we realized that 
the thing would not grow, like crypto would not grow towards the masses if we didn't have a, a simple way to get like normal, like day-to-day -day crypto services around the euro. It's, uh, it, it sounds like, uh, it, it sounds that it doesn't really make much sense because volatility of euro versus say dollar compared to volatility of dollar versus Bitcoin is very low. So like people would go, well, yeah, but as long as you exit the volatility of the, those big and volatile assets, staying in dollar is the same as staying in euro essentially. But it doesn't really represent the same when you talk to like the masses of people who have seen their like the, the swings of euro versus dollar during the pandemic, which was like very big. And when you talk to people who are living paycheck to paycheck, you go like, oh, that maybe doesn't work if you lose 10% of your income because your, all your savings were stored in, stored in the currency that, you know, depreciated. Or maybe you, you can make money the other way. But those were not like gains that you were like looking for. You were just looking for safety. And we're like, well, we, we need to build a form of a safety layer for Europeans. So a simple like Euro stable coin was something that we just saw that we needed to build. And it's not like the company is focusing only on making stable coins. We, we're focused on making consumer products that are non-custodial and non-custodial and based on crypto only. Now, um, the first step to do this was a, a euro stable coin. So we've built a euro stable coin and we picked like a reasonable model to build a euro stable coin in the face of negative interest rates, which were the, the case when we started. Now the landscape is a little bit different. So we're going to expand our offering to make sure that we are, uh, I would say, competitive with whatever the space can offer today and we'll be able to offer tomorrow. But that, that was the, the real thing. Like we needed to have something that was like crypto, like a really crypto from the first principles. So not something centralized, something decentralized, not something that you, you would give us your money and we would give us a stable coin. We wanted something that is clear, like you mint your own stable coins. It's really, it was, the goal was to create a proper crypto platform that is as peer-to-peer -peer as it gets and to build around layers around this that some of these layers could be centralized, some could be decentralized, but essentially the platform itself doesn't need us to exist. Like it's a core principle in, in whatever we're building that the really the core foundations of what we do do not need us to exist. And like we believe that in crypto, like one of the things that uh, I would say crypto brings like um, to the existing pre-cryptocurrency world is that you generally do not have to count on companies existing. You can count on proper game theory and people being incentivized to maintain the network alive without having to think like, oh, well, if that company dies, my account dies with them or something like that. Like, you don't, you don't need to have um, a Bitcoin company staying alive for you to get your Bitcoin tomorrow. We, we're, we're thinking things like when we build smart contracts and all that, we make sure that they do not depend on our existence for that because startups die, but your account must not. And wow. that, that's a key, right? That, that is amazing. That is amazing. Now, for someone that is not aware of, you know, basically decentralizing the way your platform work, can you simplify the approach with your platform and everything um, from not only the, the, the stable coin, but also the NFT aspect of it, the, the staking aspect of it? You just explain that a little bit. Well, um, again, the, um, let me let me first preface that by saying that the the platform today, in its current state, is not really targeting the mainstream users uh, yet. 
Like we are, as a company, building a whole suite of software that will eventually re reach the mainstream. But you got to start somewhere. And where we decided to start was something like buy crypto people for crypto people kind of thing. And as an engineer and someone who's been like building financial products for a while, I. I might, um, I mean, I, I might say things that might lose a little bit of the audience around. So feel free to stop me sometime. Yeah, no worries. So um, again, like the the first version of what we built is again something that's very straightforward that solves a pretty simple problem. You have volatile assets. What I mean by volatile assets is assets that go uh, that go up and down and stuff like that, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and stuff like this. You can um, you want to buy something tomorrow? You would have to sell some of these volatile assets. But you might believe that the price will go up. You might believe that the price, like, you, you don't want to miss on a potential price hike. So do you really want to sell these assets? Um, in general, the answer to this has been yes, you had to sell the assets. We do believe that there's an alternative to that, and we built one. We're not the first one to do so, but again, like, we're the first one to do so with Euro. You deposit these assets in what is called a smart contract, so you just deposit them on-chain, essentially. And... What the smart contract does with it is that it allows you to borrow from it. You borrow some funds from the smart contract. The smart contract would technically invent some coins at that moment. It will like mint new coins, and those coins will be backed by your collateral. So you deposit some Bitcoin, and I mean it's wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum or whatever like uh, flavor of Bitcoin you're using. It's, this is just a technicality, and you mint so you create some euro debt essentially so this debt is in the form of stable coin i mean anybody who has studied money uh, a little bit knows that at first money was just debt this is just like pretty much like going back to that like you instead of just storing gold in a vault and issuing a banknote you just issue your own stable coin by depositing your volatile collateral and because everybody issues the same stable coin on the platform those stablecoins can trade against each other, and then, like, as soon as you have any form of liquidity between these stablecoins and other assets in the market, that's it. You have usable money. So what you end up doing here is just like very similar to what you would have done going to a bank, giving your house as collateral, and borrowing some cash to go buy a new car. Is that except here you deposit your Bitcoin as a collateral, and you get some stablecoin to go buy whatever you want. And in this case, if your Bitcoin keeps going up, well, you you have the possibility to pay back your debt and get it and you essentially made like made some money because you um, I mean you did not miss on the opportunity to keep the volatile assets and that that's a thing that is uh, in general reserved to people dealing with like proper financial institutions and all that DeFi makes it easy for everyone so there's a platform a very good platform called MakerDAO that pioneered this system like a few years back and they issued a token called DAI, which is the dollar stablecoin. So deposit Ethereum, get DAI as a collateral. I mean, as a, as a result of it, you mint some DAI. And you trade this DAI for whatever you want in your life. But DAI is a dollar. And Europeans, like, keeping DAI around were like, well, yeah, but, you know, during the pandemic, the dollar, like, uh, and the euro, the balance is, like, uh, changed a little bit. Like, Forex was not really great for people in Europe that kept some dollar. So like we, they felt shortchanged, and we're like, well, let's answer this demand and build them a similar system where they can mint uh, euro. And this thing is the foundation for the consumer products that we're building now. That will have you know more things that regular people are expecting, like um, 
you know, a way to connect with your normal bank accounts, um, a way to pay for your daily life needs and stuff like that. So this is what we're building at the moment. But again, it needs it needed a foundation, and this foundation is um, this smart contract that mostly, again, today talks to people who are already in crypto. Because you need to be in crypto to create this type of money. Again, because this crypto collateral that you deposit, you're not going to accept a house as collateral on the smart contract. Mm -hmm. So those guys are seeding this economy and then like the fruits of that, all those stable coins will float around, will be able to be used by normal people in the second phase of the product of the company. Wow, thank you for explaining that. So that whole aspect of staking, is that, that sounds like that's what you're doing with this, right? Now, you mentioned Bitcoin and everything. Now, would someone be able to do that with their digital asset, as, like let's say it's NFT or you know one of the NFT collections they have? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know when you're going to publish this podcast because this is like kind of a secret project we're working on. <laughs> yeah, we we are working uh, on on a way to leverage this exact platform to mint from NFTs as collateral. Again, like. Um, I mean, I would need to go into detail and I think there would be, we would be able to spend like hours talking about how we're going to build this thing, like uh, using NFT as collateral, because uh, just so you know, the current state of the industry is that there is no proper way to um, like to, to financialize your NFT, like to really to turn your NFTs into proper financial assets. So to use them as collateral really efficiently and all that. I mean, some projects are doing it rather Rather, rather way like rather, rather right I would say I mean they, they're not doing it too bad uh, but there is a sense of I would say I would qualify of, of, um, of a primitive like really the, the, the way of, of people to do this today feels very primitive I'm not saying anything bad against the project doing that it's just like for anything in crypto the first generation of protocols and companies solving a problem will always be somewhat primitive because those guys need to solve a problem at hand, make sure they, they grab the market, they get the mind share. So they go with the first approach in general. And the current the current protocols doing that um, do do it in a way that could sound rather inefficient to some people coming from a more of a DeFi approach. Um, so we're trying to like innovate on these models. Again, the space of borrowing using NFT as collateral is so new yes. that there's no guarantee of which model is going to win and all that, but we're going to try with our model and we, we have a couple of nice things in and we're, we're just at this point, we're just hoping that we can make the community happy. And it's, um, I mean, the good thing when you work with NFTs is that it's, I would say is the um, NFT communities among the crypto space are the one that feels the most like humane. And you feel like you're actually still like, talking to people, you're talking with people who are just here to have fun, you're talking with a, a really wild bunch of people and helping helping these communities is actually somewhat enjoyable. Like uh, you, you really feel like you're talking with uh, with communities that are really responsive. They are really like uh, eager to see what's, what's going on. It, it's really reminiscent of crypto in 2017 where you had a lot of like communities that were going around going crazy like just trying to invent new concepts it was very interesting like uh, you can see some people are innovating for the sake of innovating some people are not even trying to solve problems sometimes it's, it's a little bit of a fun of a fun thing to see like, i mean we we work on hard problems all day trying to 
build, I don't know, savings accounts for people in, in places where it's really difficult to access like proper funds, proper accounts and all that. We work on, on many difficult problems and sometimes like being able to escape that but still leverage our technology for other purposes is refreshing, right? And um, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna subscribe to the theory of people working in the NFT are somewhat wasting brain, brain time and all that. I, I don't think it's true. I think it's there is a space for everything, and it's just like now that people are waking up that um, that crypto is is just a space that has room for more than just financial yeah. products. Even though, well, we're somewhat financializing NFTs, but uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I do believe that the space is the space will grow, and it will not only grow in the direction of building like only hard things. And, and community NFT communities are a good way to remind us that you know, internet is is a place where we can do everything we want. That is amazing because I'm thinking the same way too. I think we are not seeing the possibilities of blockchain technology. And I think NFT is just one of those early things that bring early adoption to a lot of people that didn't know about cryptocurrency and yeah. invite them to come into the party. But I also think like the, the next phase is going to be really find products that's really going to solve real world solution. Um, products that's really going to enhance people's lives and products that's going to really help communities and stuff like that. Um, now, with what you're doing, how you guys deal with regulation and, and yeah. compliance and stuff? Again, like um, that's that's interesting that you that you went from NFT to regulation because you're talking about the most like you know far west, yeah, awesome. <laughs> really the most cowboy space in the entire crypto world to regulation. Uh, just like just want to echo what you just mentioned a little bit earlier on. The fact that NFT is very often like a, a gate, like, a, you know, it's really a, a gate for people to get into crypto. We're seeing this more and more now. Like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Like, we were looking for a way for crypto to grow in people's pockets. Like, where they like, oh, well, we've been in the space for all this time. Why isn't everybody using crypto yet? And what, you know, what we've been trying is like really utility, adding more utility to crypto, making crypto more regulated as you're, as, as we're just going to talk about it right now. And then like when NFTs happened, we realized that, well, we only, we just needed this. This is, this is what we needed. We just needed a place for people to have fun because fun grows faster than utility when people live well. That, that's the thing. Like when people are in need, then they're looking for utility. But when people live okay, and people are mostly living okay, let, let, let's, let's face it, people live fine, a lot of, most people can still pay rent at the end of the month. So even though we want to enhance their lives, it still means that most, a lot of people are still, you know, they have iPhone and Android phones, and like they're living comfortably and all that. So they want to have fun, they want to distract themselves. And NFT is, is bringing that. And well, therefore, it was a great way for a lot of people to get into crypto. So yeah, now to go back to the question about regulation, um, this one's a li little bit like easier for me because I've built businesses in different spaces before. Um, the, the previous business that I was working on is called Telcoin. Uh, I, was, I was a CEO there. And it's a business that helps people send money abroad uh, just like you would send a text. So you send money to a phone number type of thing. And well, if you want to send money, you want to send uh, money that will be usable by the person on the other side, which means it has to be like, like in most countries still fiat money. If you're dealing with fiat money, you're dealing with regulation. So, well, even though I'm a software engineer and all that, I had to, you know, learn and like learn from my lawyers, learn from my compliance people. 
And that goes through that. Uh, this experience we carried over when we've built Mimo. And Mimo is regulated is a regulated uh, company in Europe, where um, we we have a proper license to um, to build the type of financial products that that we are building now. However, the the first step uh, that we have right now, the first step which is only allowing people to mint a stablecoin using their volatile asset as collateral, is not regulated because this does not really deal with anything that is actually regulated in most in most places. You just have an, a peer-to-peer -peer system where a smart contract mints some stable coins, and this is not regulated today. So that part does not require regulation. However, our grand plan is still to build consumer tools. So this will require a proper regulatory scheme, which we already have, like um, you know, underway. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, now, we what we see right now in the beer market that we witness in, in you know, in, not only in the U.S. but all over the world. We've seen what happened in the crypto in the last few months with Three Arrows Capital, um, Terra, Luna, Stablecoin, and everything. What is some of those things are showing you as far as what's, what's happening with those companies, but also what are the learning that you're gathering from those companies? Oh, that's, um, that's a good question. I think uh, it's if one answer such a thing, because this is not only a learning from us, that's a learning for the, the entire industry. You have to ask about like sustainability of DeFi. Um, DeFi is, I mean, at first, a way to decentralize finance, of course it's in the name, but it's a simple way for um, assets to flow freely between smart contracts and like different platforms and like, um, like really mostly uh, autonomous organizations. Um, users of DeFi came came in like when the first platforms uh, were here and were promised amazing things, and they got used to those things. So they wanted more. And use you know if you keep asking people what they want, they will always tell you that they want more stuff. And people wanted to have more yield. And at some point, while some companies were providing more yield on their assets, and you in order to offer things. Sometimes you have to create, um, like, I mean, you don't have to, but sometimes people will create unsustainable models in order to offer people what they want in the name of growth. And this is, I mean, I guess Terra is getting a very bad name because of that, but let's just take a step back and realize that this is unfortunately what's happening in most of the tech world. Like, everybody builds companies, fuels them with like a ton of cash, and does unsustainable things in the name of growth. It's just that Terra did it with money instead of dealing it with, I don't know, some products that are free to use and that will be fueled by nothing and then hope that you can slap ads on your face and make money from it. And like most, like, uh, most social media companies have been doing, like Terra has just been like fueling growth uh, with unsustainable models. And the, so that's, that's one of the things. Like that, that's the, the first bad thing. Like it's a purely unsustainable business model. The second is that it's... I mean, the democrat like really like um, it's been democratized like to build financial services thanks to the blockchain. It's great. It's, the, it's we've been opening the the doors of how of usage, but also been opening the doors of building those things. Like you don't need to be um, an economist and like a, a banker and all those things to build a DeFi platform. Like a, it's 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 really interesting like to to open those doors and. 
what happened is those guys have built a system. They told everybody how the system worked. However, it's written, it was written like black on white that this is a very risky system. Users decided to ignore it, like 100%. And the guys at Free Arrows Capital are like clearly decided to ignore the, war- the, the warnings. Like it was written. It's, uh, it's, I mean, some people are calling the terror guys like scammers and all that. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't believe that they've scammed people uh, because, again, like the question goes to, like, are you really guilty if you make something unsustainable but you tell people about it? If you make something that is actually economically unsound but you properly describe it, you describe the risk. Um, I do think that the documentation of the risk was a little bit light, to be fair. So, like, unless you were. Uh, you, you were properly digging into it. You might have felt that the system was sustainable. Uh, we did warn uh, our users multiple times when we were asked, like, why don't you take the Terra model? It's so efficient and so this and that. But, like, we don't believe that this is a sustainable economic model for building a stable coin. So we built MIMO another way. We, we, and when you, when you do things this way, well, you don't have the growth that those guys have experienced and all that. So... I guess the learning for the space is that, yeah, you can grow really fast yeah, because you can decide to build very unsustainable businesses and systems and like economically unsound systems. However, well, you have risk. And what I hope is that not only the industry has, has, has learned, like, uh, but also that the users have learned. What I've seen is that exchanges, for example, and large organizations in the space have learned a lot from that. Like now, when you want to get a stable coin listed on an exchange, they might have a lot more questions than before Luna. And I do think that, I mean, it might sound very Darwinian from that, but at the end of the day, everybody has the choice to make their system. Everybody has a shot at this. And we've built a sustainable stablecoin. And now when exchange talk to us, they're like, oh, actually your thing sounds right. Yeah, it sounds more right now than it did six months ago, but it's still the same system. So maybe we, as an industry, we've gained from that. Yes. Um, so that is interesting, right? Now, how you, your platform is making it a lot more transparent for users to understand the risks and all that stuff. Yeah. What are some of the elements that you guys are putting in place? So, again, like transparency is documentation and stuff like that. And um, I think it's a little bit of a difficult, uh, of a difficult question because... You can be as transparent as possible about your system, saying, okay, we work like that, we work like this, but you don't want to trash other people's systems. I don't want to say like, uh, yeah, Luna is going to die because of this, and when that will happen, you guys will lose all your cash if you put it there. Even though this would be part of education, we can't do that because this is unethical and this is not great. So we just try to work as open as possible within the industry, and I think then like there's a little bit of a role of media to educate, like, we can educate you about us. We don't want to do the job of educating you about, like, other people because, I mean, we can at best say that we don't believe in these systems. And that's, I think that's where it stops for us. Like, uh, not every company has this type of stance, right? Some companies will clearly trash their company doors and all that. But I don't really believe in that. I think this is also an unsustainable marketing strategy. So, you know, let's educate people about what you do. That's what we're doing at Mimo. We, we're issuing content. We are trying to make proper educational content in the form of videos, in the form of, like, blog posts and all that. And, well, um, 
then it's about us to grow and make sure this content reaches everybody who's going to use us. Like today, we have um, like some normal B2C customers like on chain, but we also have B2B customers who are like companies offering, I would say, more like centralized saving account type of products who are looking for ways to generate like revenue on their euro. And they play an intermediary role between us and the customers. Those guys have a duty to explain how this thing is working and they're doing a great job. And we like the reason why I'm mentioning that is that if we want to do like the, the job properly of educating the people about the risk of DeFi and all that, we don't have to work alone. We can work through partners. We can work through media. We can work through our like uh, the other companies distributing our products and stuff like that. And this is what we're doing. Oh, perfect. Thank you. So now, with the stable coin that you mentioned, um, are you guys looking to to make maybe not right now, but eventually to have in different exchanges and stuff? Is that something that you guys are working on? So. Um, the exact stablecoin that we have today, PAR, which is a Euro stablecoin, is currently trading in a couple exchanges, and we are not currently looking into increasing the number of exchanges where this coin trades, uh, mostly because the European users do not seem to be looking for centralized exchanges to trade Euro stablecoin that much at the moment. Like we we are more taking a stance of wait and see. We know that Coinbase and Circle have released a Euro stablecoin recently that is looking to get listed on exchanges, on more like centralized exchanges. We'll look into that. Um, today, we're more comfortable dealing with the decentralized space only. Um, we are, however, considering building other stablecoins that will like follow other currencies. And for these currencies, we will reassess the need every time. Interesting. Um, now, what is the... Um some of the chain that you guys are supporting on your platform right now. Yeah. So we started on mainnet, like pretty much any DeFi product uh, at the moment where we started. And uh, I mean, Ethereum mainnet. And we we are on Polygon and on Phantom at the moment. We are uh, currently working on, uh, on on a different version of the, of the protocol to be deployed on WebAssembly-based platforms such as Nier and Solana. Uh, we're actually going under Reddit at the, like for that, and we are like more seriously looking into layer twos like Arbitrum and uh, Optimism, but Arbitrum first. We we just have been convinced by some of our friends that there could be a need for uh, for our element there. So again, like we do not have an exclusive view on platforms. For us, it's more like. Can we deploy on a new platform and serve users there? Is there a need for our stablecoins there? Like, um, are users feeling limited because of the lack of, uh, say, a euro stablecoin and stuff like that? We don't. We don't just want to play the incentive game because you know, like, when you deploy on some chains, you're being paid by whatever foundation of the chain. Uh, sometimes, and those guys would. Uh, would would provide would provide you with um, like funds to just really seed the economy of your of your product, and this again leads to very often unsustainable returns for the users of your platform. So, let's say you deployed on chain A tomorrow. Chain A gives you a ton of cash just to deploy. So you give this cash to the users as an incentive to use the product. You will have a ton of users, and then once this cash dries out because it was just an incentive program, well, if they didn't really 
come here for the value at first you just ended up like running things for no for no good reason and again this is how the game is played so i'm not blaming anyone and it's not like we run away from incentives it's more that incentives and other change and all that are just one of the factors of the decision uh, that we that we make when we decide to go on on, on different chains so we we are looking at again other platforms but it's not because of incentive it's really like based on do we see some users needs on that perfect um, what are the um, what are, what are your future roadmap look like and what are some of the key features that you guys are implementing to the platform right now all right, so again, that depends on when you plan to release this. Because <laughs> uh, one thing that I've learned uh, working in the industry for that long is that you don't want to don't want to promise too much. Uh, you, you don't want to tell too much on the future roadmap because you just end up building, ex uh, you know, like expectations. And given of the nature of software development, the nature of audits, and the nature nature of like market cycles, you might just not want to release some things or just not be able to at the moment. So. I'm just going to let you in on a little bit of this, just letting you know that this NFT as a collateral thing we just talked about is really underway. Like it's uh, going under first phase of audit right now and we we, we are building that. Then like um, naturally, I mean, we've never been shy about it, but we're building consumer products. So we have an app in the works, uh, a proper mobile app because consumers at the end of the day still like their apps. So you can't only be browser based if you want to increase your reach. Uh, again, like we're not necessarily talking about increasing your reach from a monetary perspective, just having like a, a you know, like a hundred very wealthy people using the platform. No, no, we're talking about increasing the reach and having a lot of users who are not necessarily big crypto heads using using the thing. So we we are building a, a proper app. The, um, the the app naturally will have um, a better connection to your existing financial infrastructure, uh, which means you know, normal connection to banking and stuff like that. So that that's what we're working on. We're obviously working on, um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, some answer to the interest rate interest rates hike that has been happening on the dollar, even the euro and, and other currencies recently. So we're working on a, a set of products that will be able to, again, help our users in the face of that. I can't tell too much about this right now, but... Um, we we are taking these things into consideration in our roadmap, and th those products are actually pretty in a pretty advanced stage. Uh, we might release some of these products earlier than than some things that we've been talking about for a long time, because again, like if if the if interest rates are keep keep growing up like that, the market is going to look different, um, and users are. Again, like uh, not necessarily happy about those conditions, and today you really have to make a choice between crypto and uh, the traditional world. We again want to blur the lines and make sure that crypto always gives you the best. So that's the best I can say. Perfect, thank you. Um, now, once you give a shout out to your team and yeah. just to get this, you know, who they are and their backgrounds and stuff before we wrap up. All right. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's great. I mean, uh, you've been hearing me say we, we, we all the time. It's never it's never been I in this thing because, uh, yeah, Mimo is a team. Um, like most of these people in the team have been knowing for a long, long time. Um, we, I mean, today, like a little bit earlier in a private conversation, you were talking about like um, diversity and stuff like that. Like 
no two people uh, at Mimo really look the same or sound the same behind a mic because everybody is looking like way different. We have people from all over the world and that's great. So the team is, uh, interestingly, um, like the most common element within our team is some form of ability to speak Japanese uh, because many of us met in Japan. Uh, you know, spent almost a decade there for me, and like so, so many of us have have lived in Japan. So uh, that's that's the most common thing be between like the members of the team. Now, like um, beyond this, you have um, okay people coming from the fashion industry, people coming from more investment banking, obviously, uh, people coming from um, I would say. Yeah, like startups, like uh, like finance startups, even the more normal tech world, and yeah, we're I would say like a mostly European and Asian, because again, this is where we've been living. Where we've been living, it's uh, from a geographical standpoint, it's uh, it's just very, uh, just very natural, and yeah, that's um, that's that's a team. So yeah, I wanna. I want to make sure everybody, like anybody of the team, of the MIMO team who's listening to this, um, you're great. <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are killing it. Like, uh, no matter the department, no matter what you're doing, uh, you matter. You, 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 they are a really good team. Uh, we, we've, been doing, we've been going through like, a lot of team changes um, like a, a few years back because we, we hired a lot and then like, you know, we, we, we moved uh, we, we moved a lot of things when we created Mimo, but now I feel like we have um, a rather rather solid team. And even though I mean the team is never perfect, you might still need to change, might need to, to change some things. You, some people might might prefer to work on different category of things, or some people might not be the best fit for some things you need. I, I'm just generally happy with how the team looks and produces right now. And if I have to give like one specific shout out to the team, like if I want to play the favorite game, <laughs> stuff like that, it's the team that we have that is working on smart contracts. Uh, I'm very, very happy with, 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 with the shot, but uh, it's not that I'm not happy with the rest of the company, but I, I want those guys to know that they're really, really doing something special and they're, they're great. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the team. Thank you, Claude. I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. I look forward, you know, to continue building our friendship. Um, and, you know, I know you have a, a party coming up next week, so I look forward to party with you too, man. 21st. Yeah, please come on the 21st. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be 190 Bowery. It's, uh, it's going to be great. We have, like, really, really good music coming. I mean, as you know, I'm into yes. music. <laughs> yes, um, and we recorded this podcast at the Empire DAO. Uh, the Empire DAO is...